the show was originally going to be about uh, Jews and Catholics. This is the Gospel of Musical Theater, a priestly look at some of your favorite musicals with your hosts, Cathedral Deans and Musical Theater Queens, Nathan LaRude and Peter Elliott. Welcome to Gospel and Musical Theater and Peter in Vancouver. And today, Nathan's in Atlanta, but welcoming guests who are in Portland. Yes, I'm, indeed. I'm all dislocated here. This is fantastic. We're, 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 all over, we're all over North America today, but holding down the Portland, the Portland Fort are two of my very good friends, Rabbi Michael Kahana and Cantor Ida Ray Kahana, both of Temple Beth Israel in Portland, uh, institution with a long and storied history with Trinity Cathedral, where I work, and the Kahanas have become colleagues and friends. And uh, Michael and Ida Ray, over to you to tell us a little bit about who you are and 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 more to the point, why you wanted to come on a Sondheim podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, uh, Nathan, our, our, our dear friend, and Peter, it's such a pleasure to meet you. So we are clergy, and uh, so your the the podcast uh, leaned to us the idea of trying to find theology and musical theater. How cool is that? Uh, we, we are clergy and we are married, and, so we we could be the basis for a whole Sondheim musical. Just you basically you are a Sondheim yeah, musical. I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> Married to each other. That's also right. just, just to be clear. Just to be clear. Yeah. It's the little things you do together, isn't it? it is. Yes, it is. Like podcasts. Uh, like podcasts uh, and and porn spiels and, and and everything in between. So we were fascinated when we learned about your your podcast. We were really fascinated. Um, we're both lovers of musical theater, and our kids kind of grew up on on that music. Uh, it, it's just it's part of our you know, personal soundtracks, and uh, and we both come from theater backgrounds. You tell about your background because it's more interesting than mine. I will. And by the way, our children have now forgiven us for that soundtrack that we always <laughs> played in the car. In fact, now they're grateful because they're often in classes where the, t- the professor will say something and they will actually know the answer to some of these obscure things. So, <laughs> I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was always singing from the age of 10. My mother was a classically trained singer and I was singing Adele's laughing song when I was 10 years old. That was a lot of hubris, but I um, (laughs) went to Carnegie Mellon undergrad as a voice major and then to New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, also as a got my master's there. But I think because I'm old enough that there wasn't the kind of crossover singing that there is now. And I think that was my fach, but I couldn't find it at the time because it kind of didn't exist. So I I was always bopping around between operetta and opera and musical theater and loved all of it and couldn't find a place in any of it. So I became a cantor uh, because that was always the underpinning of all of my singing was that I was singing in a synagogue from the age of 15 or so, my mom and I sang in a choir. Um, so the, the Jewish music was always the gig that I had somewhere on the side while I was trying to be a real singer, in quotes. And then I finally realized that actually I could make a beautiful music and communicate on such an amazing level with people. So I entered cantorial school, Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion in New York, and that's where I met Michael. So it was the best decision I ever made for all kinds of reasons, Um, but that's certainly way up there on the list. So that's a little of my background. And uh, so I I have a theater background um, 
when I, that started when I was a, a, a kid in uh, middle school. My brother in high school um, was cast in a production of Gypsy uh, at Bel Air High School in Bel Air, Texas, Houston, Texas. Uh, and Bel Air had like an amazing theater program. So he's cast in Gypsy. And of course, they need all these kids for yeah. the opening scene. Uh, and so I got dragged into it and uh, the, I got bitten by the bug uh, badly and really stuck with theater. I got involved with a teen theater group uh, that focused only on musical musical theater and uh, just did show after show after show as, uh, all through my teen years. Uh, eventually became um, theater major at University of Houston, uh, University of Texas and University of Houston. Uh, and uh, was really kind of had my sights on a theater career, though I, I wound up because I was I wasn't very good. So I was waiting around for parts a lot of times. And someone said, you know, here's, you know, why don't you go hammer something? I wound up uh, doing technical theater and got really engaged in technical theater, uh, lighting, set building, uh, lighting design became my real uh, area. Uh, and um after my uh, in graduate school, I I got an MFA from Parsons School of Design in architectural lighting, taking oh. the theater work and kind of moving it into architecture. It was a brand new program. I'm actually the first person to graduate from that program because my last name starts with a C. Uh, so <laughs> you got the first applause. I got right into it, right? And then working a couple of years in that field, and, and, and I was living in New York, um, uh, in the um, late 80s during the AIDS crisis. Uh, so it was a really powerful mm -hmm. time to be living in New York. And I, I decided to switch that and, and go into uh, go to rabbinic school, um, which was a, 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 it was a big decision, a hard move. Came from, I come from a rabbinic family and a long tradition of a, a rabbinic family. And but to me, it, it was there was a natural thread from the theater world to the clergy world. Um, and I think when, you know, as we talk about the history of religion and theater and how they were uh, intertwined in many ways, particularly as we get into the medieval era. And also the, the to me, the, the sense that was really powerful is that what it takes to put on a production is not just about the people who are on the stage. Um, it's that whole sense of community that is required to make anything happen. And to me, that's a very religious experience um, mm -hmm. and a very Jewish experience. Judaism is very focused on community and, uh, and how we run our institutions and create sacred moments uh, is really tied into that world of theater. So uh, it all kind of fits together to me. I always, you know, feel like nothing's ever wasted, right? And, and so that's that's been a part of it. And I think it was a language when Ida Ray and I met. And our first year of studies was in Jerusalem. And we fell in love in Jerusalem. Oh, you have to hear this. So I know. Oh, we're, we're, we're digressing, but that's all right. Oh, no, no. We, it Podcasts was about digressions. First, our, yeah. our first really getting to know each other. I went for dinner to their, to his apartment and he had a couple of roommates that were really duds, but as we were talking, <laughs> I'm sorry, 
<clears throat> but uh, yes, yeah, so hopefully, certainly, we, hopefully they won't. Hopefully they're not listening. Lovely, lovely human beings. Lovely human beings. Not exactly beloved theater children people. of God. <laughs> to be to be clear, not exactly theater people. Let's okay. just put it yeah, yeah. that oh, way. Yes, yes, Ooh, that's yeah, we true. Understand. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking, and somehow something came up. Oh, and I had the soundtrack on. Oh, you had, had the, music in the background. He had uh-huh. music on, and the music was Mikado. So, of course, I had done the show like three times, played, you know, from Yum Yum to Pity Sing to, okay. So, we're singing along, and we both know all the words. So, that was the dinner. And that was course, the moment, yeah. Well, actually, we were the duds. Because we were the yeah, duds. right, you were, were the nerds. We were singing yeah. all of the words in Mikado. So, they left and left us So, alone. yeah, so we get we get to curtain call, and we look around the table, and there's no You're one else the there. the only ones left, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan bringing people together for uh, more than 100 no. years. Yeah. Bring two Jews together. How well, about <laughs> hey, I, I don't know how they would have felt about that, but let's 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 call that the spirit of God at work for sure. There you go. Yeah, there bitten go. or unbidden, I, I got, God is present. I got stuck on the high school in Texas doing Gypsy. I'm still trying to put that together. What theater arts teacher had the chutzpah to put Gypsy on? Because yeah. this is a difficult show. A very I adult think. show. It's right. It's a very right. adult show. And my my recollection, it was a terrific production, but. What did I know? I was kept. Um, right. But uh, but it's but uh, yeah. I, I, so Bel Air High's theater program really had a history of taking chances and and putting on some really amazing productions and professional actors who who uh, uh, came out of that program. Wow. I also I wonder how much of that was that that area that you grew up in Meyerland, the Bel Air High School was very Jewish. That's true. And I also mm, yeah. I think that might have had something to do with it, just in terms of the risk-taking or the, you know, pushing the edge a little bit. And also that that time was very, you're talking about the 70s? So it wasn't the conservative Texas that we know now, especially in that area. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there was some so pushing of the envelopes. True. Yeah. Well, so maybe that's a good jumping off point. I was going to ask you how Sondheim entered the story after the Mikado, but so that's one question I've got. How did how did the two of you did did you already were you already Sondheim fans when you met, or was that something that you discovered together as a as a couple? Uh, so I had done a lot of you know summer stock and yeah. that kind of thing, and one of the shows that I did that I really loved in Vermont was um, Side by Side, yeah. and so okay. I really got introduced to it, you know, through to Sondheim through that show and, and really loved it so much. I mean, thank God I was, I was singing the church lady in, um, company, (laughs) you know, um, not getting married today, not the patter, but, um, (laughs) but it definitely sparked my love of Sondheim. And of course, well, West Side Story was ubiquitous. I mean, I grew up with that, um, that kind of lyricist Sondheim. I don't yeah. know for you though. Yeah, I think different different for me. Uh, so I was, as I said, living in in New York uh-huh. uh, in the late '80s, and Into the Woods opens in 1987. Okay. And um, I did see the original production. Wow. And it was like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> what just happened here? Yeah. It was it was so mind blowing. And then I kind of you know. Uh, realized like the soundtracks that I had grown up with was West Side Story. I knew musical, I knew musical theater both from my theater program and from movies. Uh, and the the soundtracks were probably more movies, mm-hmm. but West Side Story was was really West. deeply ingrained. Uh, and so it's like he did that, yeah. uh, you know. And then 
Gypsy, right. uh, it, uh, kind of musical theater. Drawing the connections there. Yeah. Know, so, so it Same was guy. it was really more of moving backwards for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then it just realized that there's there's real, you know, theater royalty that's that's connected into this Jewish person. Yeah. And I I, I probably knew a lot less about the. Um, the whole teams of the the, the Jewish as you've talked about so much the Jewish, the Jewish gay men yeah. in that uh, of that era who were you know the who, who were Broadway yeah uh, and 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 uh, so I, I kind of went you know uh, found it out uh, uh, backwards. Mm-hmm. I think my other connection tangentially to Sondheim was. Um, a teacher that I had at the college, Jack Gottlieb. Jack Gottlieb was a protege of Leonard Bernstein. Oh, interesting. And he wrote this wonderful book, which I will lend to you, uh, called Funny, That Doesn't Sound Jewish, uh-huh. where it's it's a fabulous catalog of, of from the origins of, of Broadway, you know, yeah. through Yiddish theater and all of that, all the way, you know, through vaudeville and all the way up through Bernstein, really, he doesn't he doesn't get into Sondheim so much, mm-hmm. but um, but the musical symbolism, yeah. uh, the Jewish symbolism in the music of Bernstein is yeah, something that he sure. really deeply goes into, and it's it's amazing. And so I, you know, even though Sondheim, as we have learned, really didn't have very much in terms of Jewish upbringing, he. He was Jewish by proximity growing yeah. up where he grew up, just like everybody on the West Side was Jewish, whether you were Jewish or not. Yeah. And he, you know, you're steeped especially in Especially in the theater so, world. Especially yeah. in this. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to your point, working with Bernstein, right, who really right. does, I mean, his Judaism so informs everything he does as a composer. Um, and, and you wonder to what degree Sondheim, you know, like when you're when you're hanging out with Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence and Jerome Robbins, I mean, these, you know, famously you know, uh, grand, sons and grandsons of, of immigrants who are very much in touch, in some ways, in, and I think especially with Robbins, in some ambiguous ways with where they're coming from. I mean, how could he have failed to have uh, picked up some of that? I mean, right. do, you, do you hear some of, do you, do you hear Jewishness in Sondheim's music? I do. I yeah. had to really think about this, though, but because where it comes from for me is some of the seminal calls, like the, it's it's not necessarily modalities but it's for example when bernstein opens the show it's of west side story it's a shofar call you know that's that's a shofar call and so i was thinking about the jews can't miss it right like it's so it's so exactly those notes uh Uh, and that is the that's the call for the high holidays like it's it's that, that that sound of the shofar is incredibly evocative uh, for anybody who's who's been in synagogue on the high holidays. And to hear West Side Story, those opening notes, it's like an announcement, something's going on here. Yeah. Like this is a this is a call to action before anything has happened.
one puts the show then in a, in a quasi liturgical context almost, right? Like that there is, I mean, call to action, right? But also a, a call to gather, a call, I mean, you know, and, and of course, West Side Story is in some ways, I guess, all about the complications of community, right? How, how community doesn't work and does work and what transcends, you know, sort of our, our individual wow. kind of belonging systems. I think it's, it is West Side Story in particular. And so I think it's very interesting, again, that these gay Jewish men are the ones who are coming together to create this. Uh, it's it, because it's about alienation yeah. and assimilation yeah. and the tension between those things, which was for these children of immigrants, right. you know, who who th- their families look funny and talk funny. Right. Um, they're trying to I, I'm also first generation American uh-huh. later era. But but that whole sense of I am an American. I want to fit in. Right. I am I, I am here. And the world sometimes doesn't really want me to fit in. Right, the right. world defines me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the gangs of West Side Story who are, you know, the police define them. Yeah. Um, you know, the outside world, the mm. pressures that's right. on them. To, to a certain degree, they define they define each other, don't they? I mean, and they defi- right. Jets can't be jets without sharks. Sharks can't really be sharks without jets. I mean, there, there's a mutual yeah. sense of... Um, antagonism defines these these folks. Yeah, very powerful. And you know, and it's so interesting because, as, as you guys have pointed out, the the show was originally going to be about uh, Jews and Catholics, yeah. and it was going to be East Side Story. Yeah. It's like some I, I don't know. That's not a rumble I would actually want to go to. <laughs> that's a very very different sense of a rumble. I, no, I don't. I, I don't. We might get messy. I yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the but uh, but. That was, I mean, that's what underlies their experience of that show, whether that's what they wrote or not. If even though they like shifted everybody around, it was about these people who were not assimilated. Yeah. Right. And the and uh, it's it's. I mean, I think I think that tension of uh, of of being the outsider. Mm-hmm. It, it's so much behind Jewish comedy. Yeah. The whole world of Jewish comedy is about being the outsider, right. right? And I think that it really finds its way into into Sondheim's stories, even if that's not explicitly what he's what he's uh, talking about. Sure. And I wonder how much of that really did come through through Bernstein, because yeah. that's that was strong for him. That was his family reality. Yeah. It's not yeah. uh, Sondheim's family reality, right? But uh, but that was the Jewish world where Broadway was the place of assimilation. I mean, there yeah. are places, yeah. right? Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, and also I think a place of deep familial identification. I mean, you know, he he didn't really have a relation. His relationship with his mother is famously, you know, vexed. He sort of discovers a father figure in Oscar Hammerstein and actually the Hammerstein family. But my sense of a little bit of what's happening sort of in West Side Story is he's building his family. I mean, I think mm. some of this is uh, a man who, you know, who, who does feel like an outsider, I think in all kinds of ways, trying to find his community, trying to find his family um, and to find, you know, family among Bernstein and Lawrence and Robbins is such, I mean, what an interesting sense of ethnic identification, religious identification, sexual identification. I mean, I wonder how creative identification, there's a lot of interesting, there's some interesting stuff happening there. Yeah. The, one other theme about this idea of assimilation uh, alienation is that you know the, the the history is that the Jew, like gay men, can pass right, yep. right, and how many actors change their names in right. order to 
not appear Jewish. Right. And uh, and and so in you know in in all of their public ways, there they they might be you know passing in some ways, and then in their community they can be themselves. Yeah. And I you know that that tension of how we have to appear outside and how we can be with yeah. our family, our our chosen family. Right. Right. Uh, is is I think it's I think it's very very Jewish theme, very gay theme. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then, and then the phenomenon of code switching, which becomes so important, right? When you're like playing with these different, I mean, musical idioms to a certain degree, right? Even within a show, uh, finding different ways to, you know, who's, who, America sounds very different than some of the songs that the, that the sharks sing when they're in the world, right? It's very different than the, you know, that they're going to have their way tonight, where they're engaging a larger world. It's a really interesting mm. yeah, yeah. phenomenon. And it was, uh, it was America that was coming to my mind when you were speaking about, you know, wanting to be Americans. But then the other, Nathan, you've just referenced it. It's, and, and we didn't talk about it, I realized in, in our conversation about uh, West Side Story, but it's the quintet, which seems to me to be the sine qua non of uh, Bernstein Sondheim collaboration. Like Bernstein has taken this operatic form of bringing different characters and their theme songs together. And then Sondheim does this chilling thing having the refrain repeated, they began it, they began it, they began it. Uh, and I always find the, I mean, I find the quintet fabulous. It just, it, it's electrifying, a free song always, but but sort of watching, you know, the unfolding as we record this, who knows what's going to be happening in the Ukraine between Europe and NATO and the United States and Russia and that, uh, and over and over again, uh, in in times of conflict, it's that refrain uh, from the quintet. They began it. They began it. And oh. The finger pointing. The trying to oh. find who caused it. Whose whose fault was it? Uh, and we're were, the ones to stop them once and for all. Right. We're the ones to stop them right. once and for all. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I I similarly get chills with that. Yeah. Yes. That blows me away every time. The Jets are gonna have their day tonight. The Jets are gonna have their way tonight. The Puerto Ricans grumble, fair fight. But when they start a rumble, we'll rumble them right. We're gonna hand them a surprise tonight. We're gonna cut them down to size tonight. We said, okay, no rumpus. No drinks, but just in case they jump us, we're ready to mix tonight. We're gonna rock it tonight, we're gonna jazz it up and have us a ball. They're gonna get it tonight, the more they turn it on, the harder they'll fall. Oh, they be got it, oh, they be got it, and we're the ones to stop them once and for all. Tonight, tonight, won't be just any night Tonight there will be no morning star Tonight, tonight, I'll see my love tonight And for us stars will stop where they are 
it's a deeply human thing. But I mean, to your point, Michael, it's also it, it's so um, it's so contextualized in the experience of outsiders, right? I mean, I think it's easy to kind of judge that situation, right? Oh, if, if everybody could just get over their turf wars, wouldn't the world be a better place? I think that's that's the voice of powerful people. But that's not that's not the lived experience of when you're living as a marginalized person. Actually, turf matters in a mm. really significant way. Mm. Maybe not blame, but but claiming your I mean, right. Like we had to we had to fight to be recognized as mm. who we I mean, you know, to to get this little prop, this little piece of property was hard won. That's that's a different phenomenon in some ways than, so oh, if everybody could just like get along and move past there or whatever. Yeah. So turf matters and history matters. Yeah. Yeah. Really matters. History really, really matters. And getting the history right really matters. So, you know, saying just get over it is is to completely diminish that history. Yeah. 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 Which really, really shows up in some. I'm the, one of the things that I loved in the um, the article Ida Ray that you that you forwarded us from American Theater Magazine, a, uh, a Jewish theologian and theater person, kind of uh, thinking a little bit about Sondheim as a as a Jewish artist. Um, so much of of you know the, the ambiguity of Sondheim's ending, and I know that's something we want to talk about. But but his he, he does come back over and over to that the importance of telling the story. Right, that is. Um, that is often, I think about Into the Woods, right? If there is a, if there's a, if there's a wrap up there, if there's a, a way of moving forward, even we might say a sense of hope in that story. It's tell them the story of how it all happened. Be father and mother, you'll know what to do. This idea that, right, the, the responsibility that we have is to pass down our story and make sure that it's told correctly. Um, and that, that is a piece, I think, of Sondheim's certainly theatrical lexicon that does feel grounded in a kind of Jewish experience, or at least a kind of an outsider experience. Right. If you if you take that whole idea of how we tell our story, the Agadah, yeah. which becomes the Haggadah of the telling of for the Passover Seder, it's important that we get it right, but it's also important that we tell it in a way that's understood by so many different audiences, you know? And that that's another piece. So the story might get told in a slightly different way, yeah. which is not wrong. But it needs to be that way for depending on who's hearing it. You know, we're not going to tell our story with so many particularisms that then if I'm talking to you that you're not going to know what I'm talking about. You know, I I think that's an interesting thing, too. Maybe maybe that's why, you know, there's certainly probably plenty of Jewish or Yiddishisms that were floating all around Sondheim, even though he didn't really grow up with it. Mm -hmm. And yet you don't really hear too much of that in his work, except no, Bobby Booby. Bobby Booby, no. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which and there's that beautiful moment when he's trying to train the actor play. I think it's the the documentary about the recording of the company soundtrack, and the actor playing Peter can't like he's not saying it, and and clearly Sondheim has in his ear, right? No, no, it's Bubby. Bubby is like say you're saying Booby. You're saying Booby. It's not Booby. It's Bubby. Bubby. And this actor's like, I can't hear the difference, and Sondheim can. Let's hear you say it. That's it. Bobby. But when I sing it, it goes, Bobby, baby, Bobby, booby, Bobby. Bobby, baby, Bobby, booby, Bobby. Bobby. Bobby, baby, Bobby, booby, Bobby. Supposing you had to say goody, how would you say that, Bobby? Goody. Yeah. Bobby, baby, Bobby, goody. Bobby, baby, Bobby, booby, Bobby. That's it. That's it. Exactly the same, same vowel sound as good. Exactly the same vowel sound as good. Bobby, 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 First lips, Bobby. Bobby, Bobby. Bobby, baby, Bobby, booby, Bobby. No, you're, you're still doing it. Say goody. goody. Say booby. That's it. Exactly as if we're goody. Now, I know you're going to sing goody this time, but nevertheless. <laughs> In his yeah. ear, it's a very specific term that he's looking for, which is so interesting to me, right? Like, as you say, I don't think he did grow up with a lot of Yiddish. But, there no, but is, that's, that's there's something in his Upper ear. Upper West Side. 
Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a very it's particular term. Yeah, it's how that language is just kind of in that in that community, yeah. uh, and it doesn't have to. It, you, you know, you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy Levy's rye bread. Right. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, Thank it, goodness. Thank goodness. But I think that that piece, uh, uh, that piece of of the ending never of it never ending of the yeah. no resolution. Yes. Right. I think is really really important. So that you know, because the Jewish stories don't end. Yeah. Right, and they are retold. So you know, as, as I just talking about Agadah. Which is that telling of 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 the story? That's a form of midrash. It's yeah. one of the forms of midrash yeah. of that telling the story, and the story is is absolutely retold completely differently, based on the time period that it's being retold, right. so that it is it it is relevant to the moment and the message that the rabbis are trying to give in the moment. Midrash is sermon, yeah. right? right? So it's it is that. Uh, uh, it is that retelling of the story, often against the text itself. Right. It's right. not only like you know giving backstory or delving deeper. Sometimes it completely turns the st- the text on its head, and that's fine because the message is the message of the moment. Yeah. And so okay. that that I mean I I find that as a form of storytelling that I think Sondheim does, mm. where there's. You know, it, the the story is just kind of being retold, and and like less of getting it right uh-huh. than of being mattering true. in the moment. Yes, it needs to yes. be the, the the story that we need in this context. Yeah, right. It's so it's about of... truth and not accuracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about Sunday, which really starts um, with, as uh, that article said, an absolutely perfect first act, and then. It's like all those themes get revisited in the very clumsy second act that that's got so much heart. It's picking up the same themes, but in a different key, if you want. It's almost like act two is midrash on act one uh, with a time shift. And I'm also thinking about Merrily, which just makes time completely relative by starting at the end and then working back and... Uh, uh, a very different kind of storytelling that, uh, as you talk about midrash and so forth, I think, hmm, maybe that's something about what's going on in these in these in in these works. That's a very Jewish feeling to me, also to have a kind of cyclical nature. Yeah. Rather, it's it's not it's not linear, linear. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and so yeah, that absolutely feels like that. I was also thinking just a little bit about. Look, I I'm not a composer and. I, I didn't do great in music theory, I have to admit, in conservatory. <laughs> but what I notice is that Sondheim has a tendency to use these much more open intervals, like fourths and fifths, uh-huh. which then don't necessarily resolve either. Yeah. And and so even in terms of the storytelling, maybe not resolving all the time, it's, yeah. you know, at, at the end. The music doesn't resolve. Yeah, yeah, the music doesn't either necessarily uh-huh. you know yeah um, it's more complicated gonna harm you at, at the very end but in time it's right. it's just kind of leaves you someplace uh-huh. um and pretty women a lot of the music when i listen to it just feels like oh 
we're 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 up there somewhere yeah. so different from kind of the rogers and hammerstein learner right yes. the very sort of you know three three you know three three verse and a chorus kind of the ballad right the kind of classic broadway structure and sondheim uses that structure i mean he's in in dialogue with it but often using it to do something that is a little a little off a little different a little ambiguous not you know like they're not little set pieces even even the i think about kind of the, the famous set ladies who lunch and rose's turn these kind of you know almost you know multi-act plays when they when they reach their climax, it is a very ambiguous musically and theatrically a very ambiguous, uh, and he, he's not willing to kind of just land there and you know sort of wrap anything, everything up in the bow. There's... I, I think that's really fascinating, and and like how do you get away with that on Broadway? Because yeah. the because you know that that is the the musical realm, which is very American of like that's yeah. the end, right? curtain and we, it's like we, we, we need we, our applause we need our we need, like, our yeah. we yeah. need a happy ending yeah. we need you know uh the, the, it's it's a great deal of clarity that's 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 very american and and the whole jewish sensibility is really that like you know nothing ever ends right and and it's yeah. and there's always you know there's always something an act that's two somewhere there. yeah something's which gonna, is yeah. the you know again like my entree was was through into the woods which was that like the the mind blowing thing of the show had a second act, right? right. <laughs> Basically, like, ends at the first and the first act, and then everything kind of the falls apart. First yeah. act is like a p- perfectly complete play. Thank you very much. Let's go have dinner. Right. And then the second act comes in, and you're like, "What just happened to you?" Yeah. But it was the second act is very Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's it is so much of. Again, the, the 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 long historic story is that some disaster is going to happen. The giant is going to step on you. Mm-hmm. The you know the Cossacks are going to come and they're going to destroy your shtetl. Then what's going to happen? And you're not you're not going to stop it. Like you can't stop the giant from stomping on you. You can't stop the Cossacks. What are you going to do? You're going to pick up and you're going to go do something else. How do you respond? Find, how do you respond to it? Yeah. And the response, it's again, that, that in, in Into the Woods, the response is community. Yeah. It's community that comes together. And sure, they start with the finger pointing. Mm-hmm. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your right. fault. You know? But that's a way of telling the story, right? That's a way of establishing, right? Because yeah. that that's what's portable. When, you're, when your world ends, when, you're, when your homes collapse, when you are exiled from your community, what you take with you is your story, is your history. Yeah. It's the passing down of that story that, that in some ways constitutes, or at least, you know, uh, you, maybe not unites, but begins to bring together that community, right? A community kind of constituted by a shared story. So of course it begins with a blame game, right? We have to figure, that's how we, that's how we start figuring out how we're going to tell this story. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's it's very much Torah, you know, because, yeah. okay, so the fourth book, which we call, we know is Numbers in English, but in Hebrew, it's Bamidbar. It means in the wilderness. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. formative time of the people is just like in Into the Woods. It's when everything's kind of blown up, like, okay, you're not slaves anymore. Go out there. Now what? Who are you? Yeah. How are you going to form? And then we even get to the end, and I think you you might have mentioned this on another podcast, but you get to the end and Moses is just standing there. Right. Nobody's entered the promised land. I mean, that's that's Moses how dies. Moses yeah, dies. Moses dies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're and then looking, it's a, but and, yeah, and it's all about you know, like there was no one else like Moses. It spoke to God face to face, but yeah. nothing about the people and what they're supposed to do. We we have to learn that with Joshua. 
Right. So the and and the Jewish tradition is that immediately you read that and then you go yeah. back to the very beginning. Right. And you yeah. read you read Genesis. The story starts once again. Yeah. It's right. it's it's completely circular. Uh, and and that is that we're, Which we're is, constantly we're constantly in that motion. So what it what for me what it is is it's very it's deeply unsettling that we never have resolution, and it's comforting because yeah. we know we're going to come around again to be yeah. able to to hear it again in a different way. And and I think I think the more I think that's why you can't just listen to a Sondheim piece once. Yeah. You, you you have to come around again and again to. To be in a different place in your life or whatever it is, and to listen to it. I do know people that don't like Sondheim, yeah. and I and I think it's often, heretics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is often because it it's disturbing, yeah. you know. And and yeah. if you can't sit in that place of discomfort, it's, it's it can be really right. difficult to listen. And we to. we don't always come to the theater to be discomforted. Maybe maybe we maybe we come to synagogue to be or to church in Peter Mice context. Although sometimes I think <laughs> there's a lot of people who probably don't love what. We, what we do in church all the time because it sometimes is not neatly wrapped up and yeah, but. Right. Yeah, that that old line of the, the clergy responsibility to comfort the afflicted and right. afflict, and afflict the, comfortable. the comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and, and Sondheim and, might've taken that as a kind of motto. I mean, some of his, some of his shows really do kind of work that way, don't they? Yeah. yeah. But I'm thinking true. about uh, Follies as well as a kind of reflection on a bunch of stories because you've got the, the through line, the, 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 the play, the book, songs but then you have all these songs that are kind of set up some pastiches mm. of of other pieces and i again almost kind of like a midrash on on their lives stepping back and and looking at it and, and reflecting on them and uh mm. um and then the resilience when we talked about follies a couple episodes ago nathan and i we both got quite verklempt talking about i'm still here uh, oh, and what a I, what a Jewish song I'm still hearing there, in some ways, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't necessarily times. name check anything there, but there is something about that power. Of, I mean, just the, the sheer power of endurance. Right. Like, yes. Uh, tenacity. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Something really interesting. I there's a there's a piece. Maybe you maybe you did mention it, but I was thinking about the Jewish themes of Sondheim, mm -hmm. you know, as, as just thinking about all of this. First of all, I've got to say. There is probably not one cantor that I know that has not used "Children Will Listen" as an anthem. Yeah, yeah, it's because almost a hymn, isn't it? I mean, at least and we Peter and I have talked about this. Every once in a while, Sondheim will do something that that feels like it's almost deliberately religious, and I think "Children Will Listen" almost feels like it's 100%. starting to pitch into yeah. that key. Yeah. yeah, and the other the other piece of that too of the of the children will listen is that, that this whole thing about listening, which is you know the closest thing that we have to any kind of credo or dogma, really is Shema, right. that Shema Yisrael, hear, listen, yeah. Israel. You know, Adonai is our God, Adonai is one. And there's there's what happens in the Torah is that um, after we receive it, that it says Naaseh v'nishma, the children respond the children of israel they, they get this thing and they say we will do it and we will hear yeah which feels very backwards oh, that's interesting isn't it yeah yeah the action comes first uh-huh and and i and this uh, the sense is that what's important is what you do with it not you, you might listen to it but not really embody it yeah but what's important is that you that you're going to be committed to acting, uh -huh. and I feel like in that in children will listen. He's saying, you know, <laughs> there's there's going to be 
a, a response to this, yeah. you know, that that's what, what's important is that not just you talk, uh -huh. but how are you going to be a, a dogma? How are you going to be a model? How are you going to model what you're saying? Sometimes people leave you halfway through the wood. Do not let it grieve you. No one leaves for good. is it's all about right it, i mean children are going to listen to I mean, in some ways it, it, in the same way that the liturgy does this right like children are going to listen to what you do yes. they're not just going to listen to what you say they're going to listen to what how you appear to be so yes. that listening becomes actually as you say a response to action not just to um it's not just hearing something it's it's witnessing something um and that's and that's the guide to parents right like you're going to be a certain way in the world think about how your children are listening to what you do which yes. is an interesting way of thinking about parenting. All the time. Yeah. I have to tell a side story quick about our children sure. and us. That is a Sondheim-y thing. So we were getting ready for a Purim spiel, which I know we're going to talk about oh, a yeah. little bit. I want to talk about because Purim's coming up. And so um, we were preparing yeah. were for our, they were eight. They were barely eight. We were preparing for one that we based on Sweeney Todd, nice, fun, uh -huh. um, you what know. was what was the title? What was how, what was it called? Morty Chai. Uh huh. The, uh -huh. the, de the demon rabbi of Shushan. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. 
So we were practicing and getting ready for this. And I was playing the bad guy. I was playing the Heyman character. And so one of my songs was, I was singing about, they all deserve to die. Of course, I was talking about the Jews as the bad guy, right. as the right, Haman right. character. And so my kids were hearing this and we were walking with the dog one day. And all of a sudden, one of my, the triplet, we have triplets. And one of the triplets who at that time was very blonde and cherubic looking, we heard her singing. She was listening to it on the oh, no. earpods and started singing at the top of her lungs. They all deserve to die. <laughs> and this, this other, one of our neighbors was coming the other way, walking her dog to seize our child. Here's our child. And just kind of made this wise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, have indeed corrupted our, we, we have corrupted our children with musical theater. <laughs> clearly, clearly you have. But but talk a little bit about, about the Purimspiel tradition, because uh -huh. I mean, certainly for the two of you, my sense is that is a piece of how your kind of early connection through theater has continued to play out in your in your shared ministry. Um, is that is that a thing that other other synagogues do again taking Broadway musicals and riffing on them to tell the to tell the perm story, or is that something that you all have they, come? I to? think the specific way that we do it it might be a little bit different, but this idea of the theology of Purim is is interesting as well in the kinds of things that we've been talking about because it's a theology of God's not going to rescue you from this. Right, God doesn't even appear in the Book of Esther. Is hinted at every once in a while and kind of mentioned in the background, but God's not a character in the same way that God's a character in the Torah. And it is through the actions of the of the individuals, mm. the the bravery uh, of of certain characters of, of Esther, who has been masquerading as a non Jew this entire mm -hmm. time, right. Uh, you know, and th there, there, it's very complicated themes that are actually there. Uh, and so, the, the, you know, that that whole sense of what you do matters yeah. uh, is 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 really is really essential in it. So Purim has a very long history as a, 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 a minor Jewish holiday, but it is it's a it's a holiday that has been celebrated with a lot of revelry, actually, in, in a ways in ways that are very different than Jewish than in other Jewish holidays. Interesting. Yeah. It is a very it, it it's it's unique in its structure, it's unique in its themes, it's and it's unique in its presentation. I always think of it as it's like a valve release. Yeah. You know, mm. it was it was a way for the folk people, for the for ordinary folks mm -hmm. to be able to just let loose. I mean it <laughs> It, you know, it was kind of parallel to Commedia dell'arte in the, yeah. in the 1500s. It, right. They had all those stock characters. You know, you had this buffoonish king and you had the this, this sweet but kind of manipulative queen. And yeah. you had this evil person that wanted to wipe everybody out. And everyone dressed up. Men could cross-dress. Right. And, you know, this yeah. was... This was wild. And so there was pushback. You know, expressly forbidden in the Torah. Right, right. right. But and for this one suddenly, sort of thing, yeah. You know, and in these this all-male presentation, both in the yeshivas and as clergy leaders at that time, so yeah. of course, the, all the rabbis are men, uh, and to see that that is possible. And, and the rabbis kind of hated Purim, or they hated 
this this whole kind of presentation because it was so against the norms of what they were doing that that it, in in some cases they wound up moving the whole Purim celebration out of the synagogue mm-hmm. out into the courtyard right and it became sort of like wedding celebration yeah. with with uh, with the, a whole sense of festivities that were you know not permitted you know in in the synagogue itself what happened over time is that um the revelry maybe except in in Israel but it it became porn became relegated to a kind of children's holiday yeah because it's it's like well okay we don't celebrate halloween but the kids love to dress up so let's right. give them give them give them purim yeah you know yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a sort of American, American reaction. Yeah. yeah, and I think classical reform, which was brought back a certain kind of dignity, mm-hmm. would also look at that at, at these Purim things. And right. Say, oh, that's not yeah. right. Folk religion. Yeah. So let's let the children do that. Let the children dress up yeah. and candy and celebration and all of those kinds of things. And the the truth is, when when we came to Congregation Beth Israel in Portland. Um, which wasn't a classical, but it was a Germanic congregation. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much a children's holiday here. And I had come from this tradition of, of Purim Spiels and other places where, where I'd been, uh, Ida Ray as well. And so we said, let's see what happens. You know, like it's, it's really, it, it, the, the, the celebration of Purim is expressly not a children's holiday. It is the, it's, it's not a commandment, but it's a, it's a sort of cultural norm to get drunk, which right. is not a Jewish thing, right? You know, right? Uh, uh, and 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 it, it it's it's really meant to be this this kind of expression, a, a very adult expression. The themes of the Book of Esther are very yeah. adult. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's it's. There's exotic dancing. There's yeah. genocide. There's like a slapstick rape scene. Yeah. There's the like it's it's how can this be like a liturgical or how can this be a sacred a sacred book? In many ways, it was kind of rejected as a sacred book. Sure. And that and to me, like that's very Jewish. Yeah. To take these sort of very uncomfortable moments and laugh at them mm-hmm. and really bring bring them out yeah. and uh and 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 look at them in, in a kind of you know it's it's marx brothers yeah right it's yes. it's, it's chaos yeah so i take it what you do in portland is enormously well received by your congregation it has grown yeah. i i think i think when he first when we first came um, I wasn't working. He was the senior rabbi. And the first Purim spiel that he presented was Borach, which was a take on Borat, yeah. the Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh-huh. And he he sang Throw the Jews Down the Well. And I remember saying, honey, do you really think that's a good idea in your first year? <laughs> you know, because they didn't know us. Really. Out, come out fighting. <laughs> yeah. out, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. And, and uh, we did. And that one was sort of a variety show. So we took lots of different songs. We did. Uh, uh, I think my favorite was uh, uh, we took Brush brush Up Your Shakespeare mm-hmm. and uh, it was Bump Up bump off Ashwaras. <laughs> and then we used like, how many different ways could we, you know, like the do the king. themes of King, uh-huh. king. <laughs> and, uh, and just in that same sort of swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, as, as just being insider baseball, 
I think, you know, as clergy, we have to identify who are we and how much of ourselves do we share with our congregants in terms of who we are. And this was a way, I think, for us to let them in a little bit or Mm -hmm. let Mm -hmm. ourselves out a little bit of we're, we're these theater people that we really love doing this and we want to share this with you. And now it's grown. We have um, a solid group of, you know, 40 some people and some years we have kids and well, because of pandemic now we haven't so much, but that get together and and talk about community. This has been a tremendous community builder Mm -hmm. of people that get together. We have um, the one guy that has been writing our spiels for us, with us for these past so many years is Eric Friedenwald Fishman. He's an amazing guy in our community. And really, we start out every rehearsal he does with a check-in, some kind of prompt. We go around. People really know each other. They get to love each other. Mm -hmm. And it's all through this shared experience of being silly, you know, being opening yourself in a way that you might look a little silly and and you're exploring your Jewish text in a whole different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's become, it's it's huge and our audiences have grown. I mean, yeah. pre-pandemic, we were four, 500, 600 wow. people in the sanctuary, just, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and I think what, we, what we've discovered, certainly among this cast who, they're all musical theater people on some level or another, many of them, really kind of deeply into it so you know we'll 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 introduce the theme of the show and it's like oh that was my favorite show i did that production back in um and so there's there's the like a shared history what i'm what and with the audience so what i think we're we're finding is that there's a there's a shared language in musical theater yeah there's these these songs that people know. Mm-hmm. So when we're doing when we're doing Pirates of Purim, which mm-hmm. was based on all Gilbert and Sullivan stuff, both uh, uh, Pirates of Penzance and HMS Pinafore, like there people were 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 humming along the melodies. Um, we actually uh, a sweet story. We had a, a couple who had met. Uh, doing a production of Pirates of Penzance 40 years earlier got, and been married, and they were in the cast. Uh-huh. Um, the, oh, Gilbert and cast. Sullivan bringing together Jews all over the place. I love it. So we brought them out on yeah. to, together and we kind of told the story of, of, the, of their meeting as a part of all of it. Uh, you know, there, there is, this is where it, it, it you know, with, with the, like like Trinity, a large, diverse community. It's really interesting that there is this shared language in musical right. theater. Yeah, it's a place that everybody can kind of find common ground. So this year, you're uh, you're you're using one of Peter and my, my uh, a, a musical that we love to love and a musical that we love to tear apart a little bit. This is yeah. my my fair Esther. Is that this year's? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. So so talk talk with us a little bit about how my fair lady is working as the uh, as the the groundwork of a Purim spiel. Well, <laughs> you'll have to come and see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, fair enough, fair enough. Don't reveal any secrets. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, you know, we're, so many of these songs are so well known. Yeah, iconic It's been songs. interesting it, um, with this one is that when you really start to look at, at this 
at the learner low, the, it's very complicated in a way that you don't even realize because Rex Harrison was doing his Sprechstimme thing the yeah. whole time and, and not, yeah, I mean, he's brilliant. Right. But if you actually try to learn the music, it's much harder. It's much yeah. more. And dramatic. Ida Ray, you're in the Rex Harrison role. Is that right? I am. Yes. Okay. So you, you, you're you yeah, the I, one that gets to gets to really kind of handle some of that complicated uh, yeah. well, stuff. Anyway, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot of fun. I get to be the bad guy again, which is my favorite. It's, it's much <laughs> way more fun. Way more fun. I had a lot of fun with that in, in Hamilton. Yes. When, yes. <laughs> yes. I got to see Hamilton. That was a fun, uh, that was a fun show. And there was, and there was a lot of complicated, you had, you had, you had to have that show subtitled, I think, if I remember correctly. We, we actually subtitled of it. Do you want, yeah. we want, we really want people to get the words. Yeah. Uh, and, and for and, access. And for I mean, access. Yeah. And, and so now we're, we're putting them up on, on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I'm captioning all of them because I really want to make sure that, uh, first of all, most importantly for access. And also because, you know, the words are, are, are it's, it's, they're, the, yeah, the you spend time on those words. You want to, spend yeah. time on it and we want people to do it. But actually, so, uh, of the difficult shows that we did, Hamilton was, was pretty, a bunch of middle-aged Jews rapping. That was interesting. Um, <laughs> but then, um, to bring us back, West Side Spiel. To do to really use the music of West Side Story, which when you like when you listen to it and you 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 watch it and you experience it, it's beautiful beautiful. When you dig into it, it is hard yeah, hard is. music. Like yeah. I, I was I we were, I was just crying after every rehearsal because mm. it's so beautiful. The you quintet. Talk, about the, the talk quintet. about the quintet. So yeah. we did that and. I remember it was very hard. I mean, a lot of the people in the cast don't read music at all, but we would teach by ear or whatever way we would do it. And and the, that sense of euphoria of just managing it, you know, I, I don't know how good Getting it was, through. but managing it yeah. was really incredible. You know, that that is there is that religious experience of, you know, the drama of... <laughs> Of, of worship, of yeah. what you bring together when, when you're working to, towards a common end and to create something that's beautiful and meaningful. We're counting on you to be there tonight. You need to win it fair and square tonight. That Tonight, 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 tonight
pretty powerful. Peter and I talk about this sometimes. You know, I I I I don't know. I theologically I'm committed to something happens when the people of God gather for liturgy. That I I I do want to say I think there is a difference between the magic of the theater. Although sometimes I am really hard pressed to tell you what that difference is, especially as an actor, right? Like as some like when when those the, the moment that you're describing at array, right? When you're 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 rehearsing something and the music takes over and there is there is a there's a, there's somebody else present in the room almost, right? Th- those holy moments and you don't have to have any sort of you know theological spiritual background to experience as an actor, as a performer, as an artist what it feels like when you are part of something. And I think that, I think that is holy. I, I don't, I don't know how I quantify that theologically, but there, experientially, um, I guess as actors, that's a piece of, of what I think prepares me then to engage my community in worship and be able to know what's happening. Right. That like my, my name for that experience is, is the Holy spirit in, in my tradition, right? Like that mm-hmm. there is there, that the, the sacred is being known in that moment, whether or not we believe in it or not. Uh, something is happening. I mean, I think worship is always sacred drama. Right. I don't think that drama is necessarily always worshipful. Sure. Or or sacred. Or sacred. sacred. Yeah. 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 So it's all, as always, it's what you do with that. So I think of, you know, Nathan, Peter, you're both preachers and, and, uh, and uh, as am I, and there is really, you know, if, if we were just to get up, you know, everybody walk in, sit down, you get up and give a speech, everybody be checking their watches and it's like, okay, thank you so much. It is that sacred drama yeah. that creates community, that it creates a, a, a scaffolding so that there is a moment in which the word can be heard. Yeah. And so as, as always, the question is, what are you going to do with this thing that you've created, right? right? Yes. So sometimes in music, it, you know, in, in theater, it's like, create a nice moment, let's go have dinner. Right. <laughs> and sometimes you've created this moment in which the, the composer or the lyricist's mm-hmm. words can, can actually land. Yeah. And it wouldn't have landed any other way. Right. You right. needed all of that. You needed that moment. Mm-hmm. You needed to be brought on a journey. And so I think that there are moments when theater can be sacred. Yeah. So, uh, may, so maybe, maybe Sondheim wasn't religious, Jewishly. Yeah. But for me, he often created the scaffolding yeah. for me to have mm. transformative experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I think I, I didn't talk about um evening primrose the oh yeah no you didn't but t- but talk about evening primrose that's one of my favorite so, shows so yeah. that song the song of i remember, I remember sky, sky. It's from that sky. show yeah. is one of my favorite sondheim songs because it's this person who's who's trapped and you know whether whether it's literally or metaphorically the way that any of us feel trapped and the poignancy in that song he sings about, I remember sky, it was blue as ink, or at least I think I remember sky, you yeah. know, it's, it's so touching. And for me, I, I was looking at it again, to prepare for this. And honestly, I know this sounds nutty, but what popped into my mind was Michael's late mother, who's a Holocaust survivor and a painter. Mm-hmm. And she used to talk, she told her stories in a way that was not gory or depressing it was it was about finding 
hope and release through her being able to find freedom. Yeah. And for her it was freedom, freedom, freedom was was like her mantra. Yeah. And I went to that in my head somehow as I was going through this song, yeah. you know, of there's nothing as, as beautiful as either your memory of that sky, that freedom, that sense of your being able to exist like that. There's nothing like that. set the scaffolding even in that yeah well which, which no go ahead peter well no another uh, another place of scaffolding i think is at the end of uh at the end of into the woods uh where where he sings uh uh no one is alone and yes. i was thinking of that connecting with uh both our traditions if nothing else the congregational experience of worship whether jewish or christian and you're talking, Michael, about that moment in a in a in a sermon and address that that kind of elevates or lifts 
And I, I think one of the things that lifts is we're connected, we're community, that we're, we're not just kind of facing into this abyss on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, something connects us in our history, but also like quite existentially in this very present moment that we're experiencing right now, we're not alone. Uh, a great piece of scaffolding to, to use that metaphor by the end of Into the Woods. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. I love the I love the idea of scaffolding. In in her article, Gabrielle Hoyt is making a case for Sondheim. She says, "I think Sondheim would hate it if we called him a rabbi." But then she says, "Rabbi in Hebrew means teacher or scholar." And in the wake of his death, hundreds have come forward to describe how Stephen how Stephen Sondheim taught taught them. And I think that's another piece of what we're what we're what we're kind of riffing on here. And, and I'm curious, Michael, what 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 does it does that does that ring for you? Do you think of Sondheim as a rabbi? You are a rabbi. Is is that is that an appropriate way to understand him, or would you would you nuance that? Would you would you do you understand him in a different in a different way? I think in the sense of of being a teacher, mm-hmm. um, I, I I think for sure. I think we're uh, you know in in many ways we're all teachers yeah. on some level, but many of us are are not really willing to acknowledge that, and and then some of us you know the, like all of us on this call we're we're explicitly put into that position where, you know, that people come to us to be teachers in, mm-hmm. in some classroom setting or some other setting that we're, that we're, that we're teaching. And then there are people who are, I think, teaching um, in, in very different ways. And, and I, I, to be fair, Sondheim was very explicit about that. If you look yeah, at, that's true. at the ways that he brought along um like Jonathan Larson, yep. you know, like yep. the, the outreach yes. to young composers, Lin Manuel, yeah. right? That that outreach to young composers, that encouragement mm-hmm. when all of the world is telling them, like, you're never going to do this, right? Like, don't right. don't even, um, and 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 that he would give the he'd give a criticism, he'd say he'd mm-hmm. need a little bit more of something here, he'd do those mm-hmm. handwritten notes, leaving the voices on the the voicemails. Uh, on the answering machines, you know, that I think there was a real, really explicit sense that I arrived here, and I have a responsibility to to help the next generation. Yeah, there he was that beautiful there with amazing teachers because himself. he had those teachers, yeah. right? Yeah, because yeah, it was part of a lineage, and felt it was important to kind of pass that lineage on. Which, yeah, which I mean, colors. I think children will listen, and all of that that sensibility at the heart of his work, right? And that's Sunny and Park with George, right? Children and art, children and art. This is what lasts. Yeah. Well, actually, he and he when he would talk. With, oh God. No, just his own history of of Bernstein having that role with him, and Hammerstein having that role with him. So it's kind of passing yeah. on almost uh, a rabbinic. Uh, chain of of teachers and great teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that tradition of uh, in um, Jewish teaching that if you are you have a an understanding of something, it's not just your own. You always credit your teachers in the right. name of Rabbi so and so who yeah. taught me thus. Yep. Then I came to this. Yeah. And Sondheim kind of does that. He know? does. Well, and then there was that beautiful moment when they when he died and Lynn Manuel Miranda gathered everybody. Do you oh. see that video in TK? And had the book, right? And I think he said, you know, let's let's turn to right, like it was sacred scripture, right? Let, yes. let us turn to our scripture. Here's a reading from the master, read Sondheim's own words about the Sunday hymn at the end of Sunday in the Park with George, and then they sang it. It was it was a funeral. It was liturgy. That was, that was high yeah, church. Chills. That was high church. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think this this guy does have a a quasi religious 
I mean, I guess one way I could say that this is a man who is clearly living out of a place of vocation, whether he understood Ooh. that in reference to a theological system or not. Mm. His work was vocational and his work, not just as an artist, but his work as, as, as you said, as an educator, um, as, a, as a parent, although he didn't have biological children himself. Um, I think he understood his work as vocation and what a powerful image of what it means to live a life of, uh, of spirituality and divinity in, in our world. I don't know. Marvelous. Wow. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Yeah. Well, wow. thank you friends for spending a little bit of time with us and, thank uh, you. Helping us, helping us appreciate Sondheim from, from a slightly different perspective. It's so rich to think about uh, the ways in which Judaism does show up in his, in his music and the traditions he's working in. And uh, always, always lovely to connect with other theater nerds too. So it's really fun. To <laughs> Likewise. Get to yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then Thank all you. roads lead to Purim. So to all roads lead okay. to Purim. That's right. <laughs> yes. If you're, uh, if you're in the Portland... March there we 16th, go. 6 yep. p.m. <laughs> yep. I'll be I'll be there and 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 it usually is available on YouTube then after the fact is that usually the yes. case so even if you're not a Portland person you can still experience the Purim spiel. Don't worry Peter. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll tune in and and break a leg as we say. Yes, in indeed. Can't, we're Thank very excited. You. Very excited to see it. Thank, Thank you, you so yes. much Thank for having you. us on. This has yeah. been really Our wonderful. Privilege. Our privilege. Great to be with you. Real, really really time. wonderful to talk to you and and you know, continued good luck with this yeah. amazing podcast. I think it's a, it's a, it's a real gift. Thank you. Thank you for, Thank for you. sharing it. The Gospel of Musical Theater is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. Join Peter and Nathan every other Friday right here in your podcast feed and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Gospel of MT. Learn more and support us at trinity-episcopal.org slash podcasts. See you next time.